Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome out to Grace Church here at the Medina East Campus, and uh, we're so glad that you're able to be with us today as we are starting today a brand new conversation, a brand new series that we are calling Questioning Jesus. And so super excited about this series. Uh, I am personally really excited to be back with you. I've been away for the last few weeks at a couple different places around the country doing a couple different things, and uh, man, it's just good to be home, and it's good to be back with you guys. I missed you, or I should say I missed, I missed most of you. And uh, so it's uh, really great to, to be back with you and excited to be back in the saddle for the kind of the duration of this conversation that we're in uh, together called Questioning Jesus. I also just want to say that if you're a guest with us here today, if you're a guest with us this morning, um, kind of like Clark said, I just want to reiterate, man, how privileged we feel that you would take some time and kind of come and check us out here at the Medina East Campus. And you really did come at an awesome time. And the reason you came uh, during, uh, I think is such a great time, is because we oftentimes here at Grace Church say that the beginning of a series is the best opportunity to get connected with us. So the way we, we kind of do things here at the Medina East Campus is we talk about things one series at a time. So we'll pick a topic or we'll pick a passage of the Bible. And then for several weeks, we'll kind of have one big conversation about that topic or about that passage. And so today you're kind of catching us at the beginning of a conversation. And so you're really joining us at a great time. In fact, I would even encourage you, if you're just kind of investigating Grace Church, if you're trying to figure out if this is the church for you or whatever, um, I would actually encourage you to lock in uh, for the duration of this series. Uh, that would give you a great chance to kind of get to know us, get to know our heartbeat. And of course, hopefully it would allow us to get a chance to get to know you too. We want to get to know you. I would love to get you plugged into a life group. And uh, there's plenty of information that out in the cafe, kind of get connected that way. But as I said, today we're, we are starting a new conversation, uh, uh, kind of a brand new series called Questioning Jesus. And so the question is, what is, the, what is kind of the, the heartbeat of this series? What are we talking about, right? What's kind of the thrust? And so let me, let me kind of try to explain it this way. So, um, one of the things that I enjoy doing, and some of you might be like me in this, is I really like to listen to podcasts. Uh, any, out of curiosity, any podcast listeners out there? Okay, yeah, a few of you guys are podcast listeners. Um, podcasts, if you don't know what those are, some of you might not know what a podcast is. It is basically like a radio program you can download and you can listen to uh, when you're working out or in your car or whatever. And so I love to listen to podcasts. I listen to a whole bunch of different podcasts. I listen to sermons on podcasts. I listen to entertaining podcasts. One of the podcasts that I really like to listen to kind of sporadically is a podcast called This American Life. And uh, This American Life is a podcast that's based off of a radio show in, uh, in, in uh, downtown Chicago. And it's a really, really fascinating show because here's what they do. They basically pick a theme and then they collect stories, uh, true stories, fascinating stories, bizarre stories on that theme. And they kind of compile them together. And it's just really entertaining to listen to. It's just kind of fascinating stories. And I remember this one uh, episode of This American Life I was listening to probably a couple years ago uh, that was called Kid Logic. And it was a really sort of fun and fascinating uh, conversation because in this episode of This American Life uh, called Kid Logic, what they were talking about was they were talking about the logic of kids. And they were telling these different stories about when kids would, would kind of, you know, assess their situation. They would observe their surroundings. They would think logically about their surroundings, right? Like how one thing connects to another. And then it would lead them to a very logical but totally wrong conclusion. And so it was just a bunch of stories and it was really fascinating. So for example, one of the stories that they were telling on uh, that episode was of a little girl who was flying for the first time uh, in Texas. And so she went to the airport with her parents and, and they, you know, they got to the airport and they were waiting to board their flight. And as they were waiting, they were looking out the window and they were watching all of these planes take off and land. And so this little girl is watching these planes take off and she's watching them land. She's watching them take off. And so finally, it's, it's her turn to board. So they board on their plane 
and their plane takes off and it starts cruising. And upon kind of getting to the cruising altitude, this little girl proceeds to turn to the woman next to her. And she says to her, she says, so when do we get smaller? And the lady next to her was like, what are you talking about? She's like, when do we get smaller? And it took her a while to figure it out, but what she was using was kid logic, right? Because from her vantage point, think about it, that question was perfectly logical. It made all the sense in the world because from her vantage point, what did she know about airplanes when they take, when they take off? When airplanes take off, they get smaller. And so in her mind, she thought, when I get on the airplane, that must mean that I get smaller, right? And it was kid logic. And so she's asking this perfectly reasonable, perfectly understandable, perfectly logical question that's based on a complete misunderstanding, right? She's almost asking the wrong question in some way or another. Now, the reason I tell you that is because in this series, we actually are kind of doing the same thing. And here's what I mean by that. So a lot of times what I have found in my experience is when people usually come to church, or when they tend to come to the Bible, or when they tend to come to spirituality, or when they come to Jesus, oftentimes people do that, at least initially, because they're looking for answers. And I'll just tell you, uh, I've, been, uh, I've been in ministry for a little over a decade, so long, but not super long. But I can tell you that the time that I've been in ministry, what I have found is that there is a very common story of people who start, um, start coming to church or start getting involved in spiritual things or start investigating Jesus. And usually that theme goes something like this. That person experiences some type of crisis in their life. And so there's a loss of a job or there's a loss of a relationship or there's a, there's a breakdown in a marriage or there's, there's a discontentment in life. There's an existential crisis of some type. There's a tragedy that happens. And because of that, that person says, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm going to go to the Bible because I'm looking for answers. I have questions that I need answers to. And so I'm coming to church and I'm, I have this equipment. How, how, can I, how can I fix my marriage? And what does Christianity say about how can I find joy and contentment and satisfaction in this life? How can I find purpose? How can I make sense of the pain and the tragedy that I see around me in this world? How do I do that? And so a lot of times what we do, and many of us, maybe even this morning, we find ourselves here in this room today because we have a lot of questions and we're looking for answers. And so we're coming to Jesus and we're coming to church and we're saying, how would, how would Jesus answer this question? How would church provide an answer for, how would Christianity answer this question for me. And, and I think, here's, here's, but here's what I want to talk about, because all those are really good questions, but here's what I want to talk about in the series. Could it be possible that maybe the questions that we come to Jesus with, that maybe, that maybe we're like this little girl, that maybe our questions are totally reasonable and totally logical and totally understandable from our vantage point, but is it possible that our questions might be based off of wrong assumptions? Is it possible that we're asking the wrong questions? Or maybe a better way to put it is this. Are there more foundational questions that we should be asking first? So here's what we're going to be doing in this series, okay? What we're going to be doing throughout this series is we're actually going to be coming to Jesus, looking at the words of Jesus, not for answers, Right, now, now, of course, I'm just going to show my cards a little bit. I'm a pastor, so I'm sure you understand that I do believe that Jesus has the answers. I do believe that with all of my heart. But in this series, what we're doing is we're primarily coming to Jesus for the questions. And we're going to be studying together the questions that Jesus asked. And here's the crazy thing. I just want you to consider this. When you go through the Gospels, which if you're not a Bible person, uh, the Gospels are the, are the first four books of the New Testament. They're kind of like the biographies of Jesus. They explain his life and his teaching. And here's what's fascinating. When you go through the Gospels, you find that Jesus asked a mind-blowing amount of questions. 
Uh, One author, a guy named Martin Copenhagen, he points out this. He says that Jesus, throughout the Gospels, Jesus asked 307 questions. Uh, When you go through the four Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, and you look at the narratives of Jesus, you see that in his interactions, he asks a mind-blowing amount of questions, 307 questions. Now, in contrast to that, we also see that Jesus was asked 183 questions. So throughout the Gospels, people would come to Jesus, and they would have questions, and they would come to him, and they would ask him these questions. Jesus, by comparison, asked way more questions than people asked of him. And then this is the thing that if, if you have read through the Gospels, you probably know this as well. Jesus rarely gave direct answers. So when people would come to Jesus, they would ask him a question. Rarely, very rarely, would he just give them a straightforward answer. Most of the time, when Jesus is asked a question, he answered questions with what? Questions, right? You guys see this all throughout the Bible. So for example, a guy comes up to Jesus. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You guys remember what Jesus says? He says, why do you call me good? Answers a question with a question. They come up to Jesus trying to trap him. Jesus, should we pay taxes or shouldn't we? Jesus says, anyone have a coin? Whose face is on this coin? And, and he answers questions with questions. Sometimes Jesus answers questions with parables. Often parables are kind of like short stories and they oftentimes end with a question. And so for example, a guy comes up to Jesus. Jesus, I know the Bible says that I should love my neighbor as myself, but I have a question. Who is my neighbor? Jesus says, once upon a time, there was this Samaritan dude, got beat up, left for dead on the side of the road. Three guys passed by, the last one helped him. And he tells this whole story and he ends with a question. Jesus is always asking questions. And so here's the question I want us to sort of think about even today. Why did Jesus ask so many questions? Why did Jesus teach this way? Why did he interact this way? And listen, I think it's probably safe for us to say, it's probably safe for us to assume that Jesus most likely didn't ask questions because he was seeking information. I don't think that's why he asked questions. I think the reason Jesus asked questions is because he was seeking transformation. He was seeking transformation because I believe that Jesus has learned what, or Jesus knew what we have probably learned. And that is this, that questions are an amazing device to teach, an amazing device to help get behind things, to help see through things, to understand the heart of things, right? I think many of us know the power of a question. I like the way that, uh, that one guy, a guy by the name of Jeff Boss, he's a contributor for Forbes magazine, He said it this way. He said, nothing has such power to cause a complete mental turnaround as that of a question. You think about it, isn't that true? I think many of us can probably think of a time in our life where we were living life a certain way or we were acting on a certain set of assumptions and then someone came and they asked a very penetrating question and as a result of that question, it caused us to rethink everything. And and there was a mental turnaround that took place. I think Jesus understood this. I think Jesus knew this. That's why he taught this way. Another author, a guy by the name of Naguib Mafus, he actually was a Nobel Prize winner in literature. He said this, you can tell whether a man is clever by his answers, but you can tell whether a man is wise by his questions. There's something really powerful about a good question, a penetrating question, a probing question. Because, you know, if you think about it for a second, what is the difference between questions and answers. Well, answers, right, if you think about it, answers are very concrete. There is a sense of finality to an answer. We build logic off of answers, don't we? So if this, then this, and if this, then this, and if this, then this. It's like the little girl on the airplane. Well, if planes take off and get smaller, well, that means that when I take off in a plane, I get smaller. That's how we tend to build logic. But questions are different. 
Questions open things up. They cause us to reconsider things, right? They cause us to call things into question and they open up new possibilities to us. I guess if you could put it succinctly, I might say it this way. Answers close and questions open. Questions open up new ways. They cause us to reconsider. In fact, if you even think about the word question itself, just think about it for a minute. It contains within it the word quest. What is that? It's an invitation to exploration, It's an invitation for examination, right? To reconsider something and to get down to the heart of it. And the reason I believe that Jesus answered so many questions with questions is because Jesus is trying to help us understand the right questions. He's trying to help us consider the right questions. So again, here's what we're going to do in this series. For the next several weeks that we're together, we're going to look at some of the most penetrating questions that Jesus asked. And the reason that we're doing that, like I said, is not just to come to Jesus for the answers. I think ultimately that is the case. But I think first and foremost, we're actually coming to him for the questions. Are we asking the right questions? Are we asking the right questions about Jesus and about ourselves? And are we doing that? And so we're going to look at some of the most penetrating questions that Jesus asked. And here's my hope. As we go through this series together, my hope is not just that we gain more information, but that we would gain life transformation. That as a result of honestly answering these questions, that it might lead to greater transformation, maybe in ways that you've never experienced before. And that's sort of my hope as we go through this series together. But today, as we kind of introduce this whole topic, so today's kind of an introduction, uh, what I want to do with the time that we have left today is I actually want to start by looking at uh, what I believe and what I believe the gospel writers believe is the most foundational question as it relates to Jesus, as it relates to the things of Jesus, and as it relates to Christianity, okay? So I want to kind of start by looking at what I believe is the most foundational question as it relates to Jesus and the things of Jesus and as it relates to this series. So, so to look at that question together, I, want you, I invite you to grab your Bibles if you have them. We're going to go together to Matthew chapter 16, okay? That's where we're going to be headed today, Matthew chapter 16. And uh, by the way, if you don't uh, have a Bible, if you didn't bring one with you here this morning, it's not a problem at all. We actually have some Bibles for you. They should be under those chairs. And so you can just grab one of our Bibles. You can turn to page 687 in those Bibles we have provided. That's where you're going to find Matthew chapter 16. So go ahead and flip there. And then also, let me just say that if you don't own a copy of, of God's Word, like if you don't have one, we actually think it's really important that you do. And so you can just have one of ours. Make it a gift from us to you. Write your name in it. Take it home. Read it. We would want you to do that. Okay, so Matthew 16 is where we're going to be headed, page 687. Now, as you're flipping there, let me try to give a little context as to what's happening by the time we get to this passage. So as you can see, Matthew 16, this is the 16th chapter, which means there's 15 chapters that have come before it. And so we're kind of jumping in in the middle of the story here. So let me give some context. So basically, what we find by the time we get to Matthew chapter 16 is that Jesus has been progressing in his ministry. And as he's been doing his ministry, what we find is that he has been growing in his popularity. Okay? So by the time we get to Matthew 16, Jesus is the hot topic. Everyone is talking about Jesus. He's making all the headlines. He is growing massively in popularity. And also, in addition to that, we also find that when we come to Matthew chapter 16, there is also a growing controversy around Jesus. There are many people who are growing in animosity towards Jesus as he grows in popularity, specifically the religious community and the political machinery of Jesus' time has a growing animosity towards Jesus as he grows in his popularity. So we see that here in Matthew chapter 16. Now, why the animosity? Why all of the popularity? Why all of the controversy? Well, there's really three reasons why. Now, the first reason was just quite frankly because of his teaching. 
Man, when you ever, if you've ever read through the Gospels and you look at the response of the people from his teaching, you see that Jesus did not teach like many other people of his day. And the Bible says, for example, in Matthew chapter 7, just a few chapters before this, after Jesus was done teaching, that the people were astonished and that, like, because he taught like one who had authority, unlike anyone else in his time. So Jesus, when he taught, man, he would draw in crowds. Thousands of people would press in to hear this guy teach. There was something amazing about the way that Jesus taught. And so part of the controversy was about his teaching. Another part of it, though, was because of his claims. Man, if you guys have ever read through the gospel before, you might know just as well as I do that Jesus claimed some pretty crazy things about himself. Jesus would oftentimes say stuff like this. He would say, God is my father. He would say, I am God's son. He would say things like, um, I and the father am one. And, and these statements were so profound and these statements were so controversial that it caused the religious communities to want to kill him because they thought he was speaking blasphemy. In addition to that, Jesus would say things like this. Jesus would say, I'm building a kingdom and my kingdom is going to be eternal. It's going to outlast any other kingdom. He would say things like this. And of course, that created a rub with the political machinery of his time because they thought he was talking about a revolution, about a rebellion of some type. So they believe that. So his teaching, his claims... And then lastly, his miracles. And Jesus performed miracles. Blind people, people who were born blind could see because of Jesus' work in their life. People who were born lame could walk because of Jesus' work in their life. And so because of these three things, because of his teaching, because of his claims, and because of his miracles, there was this growing popularity, but this growing animosity and this growing controversy that surrounded Jesus. And it's in light of all of that, that Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 goes to a place called Caesarea Philippi to ask his disciples a question. And really he came to ask them two questions. Let's take a look at them together. We'll start in verse 13. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, now real quick, let me just mention something fast about this. Caesarea Philippi was outside of the normal sphere of Jesus's ministry. So Jesus takes his disciples almost on a field trip. They kind of exit out of all of the craziness And check this out. He took them there to ask them this question. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? So this is the first question that Jesus asked. He gets his disciples. He kind of isolates them. He asks them this question. Who do people say the son of man is? Now this question, this kind of uh, situation occurs in three of the four gospels. Some of the other gospels say it this way. Who do people say that I am? So here's the question Jesus poses. He looks at his disciples. He says, okay, guys, so what's the word on the street? What do people say about me, right? What, what's the, what are the headlines? What are people tweeting? What's on Facebook? What, what's, the, what's the opinion poll about me? So Jesus asked the question to his disciples. And so his disciples go on to answer. They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets, right? So basically they answer Jesus. They say, Jesus, it's a mixed bag, man. There's tons of different answers to that question. People have all types of different opinions. And by the way, uh, the, the opinions that are listed here Uh, they actually are excluding some. Uh, The Gospels tell us that some people thought that Jesus was from the devil. Uh, Some people thought that Jesus got his power from Satan. And they would believe that too. They didn't add that in here. But I, I do want you to notice here, when they do respond, notice what they said. They said, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people say Jeremiah. Now, what do these three guys have in common? What these three guys have in common is they were all prophets, now, if you're not familiar with what a prophet is, a prophet was basically a person who was sent by God uh, from, with the power of God 
to deliver a message to the people of God. That's what a prophet was. And so they said, well, man, some people think you're a prophet like John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet who came pronouncing a message of repentance. They said, some people think you're a prophet like Elijah. Elijah was a prophet who came and performed unbelievable miracles. So they said, some people think you're like him. Some people think you're like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament who had a message of doom, who spoke a message of opposition. And so they said, well, I don't know, man. There's all these different opinions. But one of the things I want you to notice about all of these opinions, even the negative opinions that aren't mentioned in this passage, is that one thing that everyone agreed on was that there was nothing ordinary about Jesus. That there was something extraordinary about him. And listen, I would just... I would just argue that the situation in Jesus's time is very similar to the situation in our time. Is it not true that in our culture today, the, the, the opinion about Jesus is vast? There, there, is, um, there is a variance of opinion politically, culturally, and religiously about Jesus. But I would contest, and I think that you would probably concede on this, that while there's a bunch of different opinions about Jesus, the one thing everyone probably agrees on is that Jesus was extraordinary. There was something extraordinary about him. And so Jesus says, who do people say I am? And they're like, man, there's all kinds of different opinions. Jesus, it's crazy. It's all over the board. But then Jesus goes on to ask the second question. And this, I believe, again, is the most foundational question as it relates to Jesus, as it relates to the things of Jesus, as it relates to Christianity. I believe this is the most foundational question that Jesus wants us to ask. And I am convinced that this is the question that the gospel writers want us to ask. As a matter of fact, in the gospel of Mark, this comes right after Matthew, at the very center of the gospel of Mark is this question. Many commentators believe the reason for that is because this is the climactic point that everything is leading to. Everything is causing us to ask this question. Here's the question. Verse 15. But what about you? Jesus said. Who do you say that I am? So Jesus takes his disciples out in the wilderness. He says, who do people say I am? They say, well, we think this, this, and this. Then Jesus asks the second question. He points to them. He says, what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? about you. Now listen, it is hard for me to overstate the emphasis that is put on this word you in the Greek language. All right, when you go back to the original language in which this was written, you find that just like in this sentence, the word appears twice, you, but the way it works in Greek is that in the sentence, it starts with the word you, and then it ends, so the word you shows up by itself in isolation as it starts the sentence, and then it shows up again in the verb. And so a lot of commentators think a better, a better translation might be something like this. But you, but you, who do you say I am? And so so you, you, I think you can feel that there is, a, there is a big difference between these two questions, a very big difference between the first question and the second, so the first question was, was just simply this. Who do people say that I am? That question is not, a, not intrusive. That question is, not, is impersonal. That, that question requires your head. It requires knowledge. But it doesn't require your heart. It doesn't require conviction. It doesn't require faith. It doesn't require any of those things. But the moment that Jesus turns the question and he says, but you, you, who do you say? that I am. Well, suddenly that accesses, and you can feel it. It accesses a different part of our humanity. 
It taps into our heart. It taps into our convictions. It ta- we have to stand for something now. I think all of us know the difference between those two questions, right? So a silly example would be this. If I came up to you and I just said, hey, what do people think of our president? What do people think about our current, pre- the president, Donald Trump? What do people think? You would be able to answer that question super quick. If you're up on media, you would be able to answer that question super quick. You'd be like, oh my gosh, dude, there's all kinds of opinions about our current president. So CNN says this, and Fox News says this, and Saturday Night Live says this, and the National Rifle Association says this, and my crazy aunt on Facebook says this, right? And Alec Baldwin says this, and we would know all of the different opinions that people have about our current president. But if I took that same question and then I changed it and I said, but what about you? What's your opinion? We see all of a sudden it accesses a different part of our heart. Now we've got to stand for something. Now we have to identify ourselves with something. Now the question goes personal. And so Jesus does this. He looks at his disciples and he says, what do people say about me? And then he turns it up a little bit and he says, now, what about you? Now here's the thing. Peter's going to go on to answer this question in the next verse. But, but, and, and many of you might know how Peter answers this question. It's a pretty familiar passage. And so if you grew up around the church, you probably know how Peter answers. In fact, if, even if you don't, maybe you already read ahead and you know how Peter answers this question. But here, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to jump to his answer just yet. I don't want to jump to his answer and miss the question. And so I want to take a second together and I want to ask the question. I want you to, to really ask the question. You. You. Who do you think who do you think Jesus is? Like, really? And, and listen, let me, let, me, let me just ask it this way, okay? How would you answer this question? How would you answer this question? Now, let me just clarify this for a minute. What I'm not asking is how should you answer this question? So because cause here's the danger with a passage like the one we're reading right now. The danger is that for some of us, we know how Peter answers. And so for some of us, we're like, oh, I know the right answer. I know the right answer. I know what Peter says, and that's the right answer because Jesus rewards him. So that's the right answer. So I, I'm going to say what Peter said because that's the right answer. And sometimes what can happen is we, we know what should be, what should be the right answer. But that's not what I'm asking. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, how would you, how do you answer this question? Not how should you. So for some of us, we're like, well, I know, I know I should answer it this way. I know that this is what Peter would say. I know that this is what my parents would say. I know that this is, I know this is what my church would say. Pastor Tony, I know what you would probably say. So is that right? I know, I know what the culture says. I know what my professor says. I know what, I know what, you know, family guy says. I know what different things say about this question, but that's not the question. The question is how, how would you answer this? How do you answer this question? Because here's something I've learned about this question that you probably know already as well. And that's this, you can't adopt an answer to this question. You can't, you can't adopt someone else's answer because the, by sheer definition of the question itself, by the sheer nature of the question itself, it is so poignantly personal. You, how would you answer this? See, the reason I think that Jesus asks two different questions is because he is helping us understand that these are two questions that we should not mix up. And we often do right? Who do people say I am and who do you say I am? See, oftentimes we will answer the second question with the first who do you think I am? Well, my parents taught me. Yeah, yeah, but what do you think? Yeah, but my pastors have told me. Yeah, okay, but what do you say? What do you say? What do you think? Yeah, but my systematic theology books tell me the right answer is, right, 
my culture says, my friends say, my coworkers say, my political party that I associate with says, yeah, but that's not the question. The question is, what do you say? What do you say about that? Now, listen, as you're thinking about that, let me, let me, just, let me just press it a little, a little deeper. Let me turn it up a little bit and ask you another question. Let me ask it this way. Who does your life say Jesus is? Who do, who does your li- what does your life say about this question? Not just what is your claim, but what, what is showing up in your life? Now, this question, by the way, is really specifically geared to those who would say that we follow Jesus. So my guess is that there are many people in this room, probably most of us, that would say, yeah, we claim that we follow Jesus. We claim that Jesus is Messiah. We claim those things. We believe those things about Jesus. Many of us in this room would say that we follow Jesus. Now, I know not everyone in this room would say that. Some of you are investigating Jesus and those type of things. But for those of us who would say that we're Christians, for those of us who say that we're Christ followers, here's the question. What does your life say? Who does your life say that Jesus is? So for those of us who would answer the question like Peter, so how does Peter answer the question? Let's just take a look at verse, six, at verse 16. The Bible says this, Simon Peter answered Jesus' question. So Jesus says, who do, who do you say I am? And here's how Peter answers. He says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. That's his response. And so when Peter says this, you're the Messiah, some of you guys have translations that say, that say you're the Christ, which by the way, I think it's important that we just note that Christ was not Jesus's last name, all right? Christ was a, it was a title that was a, it's the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament Messiah. So what is Peter saying when he says, you're the Messiah, you're the son of God? Here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, Jesus, I don't think you're just a prophet. I don't think you're just a teacher. I don't think you're just a good guy. I don't think you're just a religious guru. I think you're the Messiah. I think you're the one. I think you're God's son. That you are God himself in flesh who has come to take away the sins of the world. I believe you are the author of life. I believe you are the one who is responsible for all creation. That's what he is saying when he says that. Now listen, for many of us in this room, I think we would probably say we agree with that. I'm one of those people. I would say, yeah, I agree with what Peter says. That's what I believe about Jesus. But again, the question is this. Who does your life say Jesus is? Does your claim and do your life, do they match? Or is there a discrepancy between those two things? Think about it this way. So when I graduated from college, um, one of the things that I did, I, my, I had, uh, when I was in college, I had the same roommate for all four years. This guy was one of my best friends. He still is one of my best friends. We, we, our family stay connected. He's a pastor out in Indiana. And so we'll go on vacation together. And he's just, he's an awesome, awesome, awesome guy. And uh, so when we graduated from college, we decided that we were going to kind of do something sort of as a last hurrah before we had to get like real jobs and be real adults. And so we, we said, man, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get all of our money together. We're going to buy motorcycles. So we did that. We bought these really junky 1980s motorcycles. And we said, we're just going to go west. We're going to try to make it all the way to the coast. And so our hope was to make it all the way to the Pacific Ocean. That was sort of our hope. So we piled up all this camping gear and we started heading west. And we didn't make it all the way out there because our bikes didn't make it. But we made it to Montana. And I remember when we were in Montana, if you guys have ever been to Montana, it it is just like, they call it big sky country for a reason. It is just like, you can see for miles. There's a whole lot of nothing in Montana. You can watch your dog run away for three days in Montana. It's just like that, right? So, so we were in Montana and we were riding, uh, driving on the highway 
And I think the speed limit's like 85 or something. And so we're cranking down the expressway and just, you know, out in Montana Drive. And there's no one else on the road. We are in the middle of nowhere. We are far from home, right? I'm from Akron, and so we're in Montana. And I remember as we were driving, it occurred to us that we had made a miscalculation about the distances between gas stations. And so we realized we are going to run out of gas. And we are in the middle of nowhere in Montana. And so sure enough, my bike ran out of gas first, naturally. And, uh, and my buddy was like, look, I still have some gas. He's like, I'm going to try to make it as far as I can. He's like, if I can get to the next gas station, I'll fill up a gas tank and I'll come back for you. And I was like, great, go. So he goes and I'm pushing my motorcycle down the road by myself in Montana, which unfortunately was a very common theme on this trip. And so I'm pushing my motorcycle down the highway. There's no one around. I'm in the middle of Montana in the middle of nowhere. And as I'm pushing my motorcycle, I see this truck. Now, again, he's way back there because you can see forever. And so I see this truck. It looks like kind of like a big rig coming my way. And I was like, oh, man, maybe this guy can help me. I don't know. That'd be awesome. So I'm pushing my bike. Eventually, he makes it to me. It takes a long time, but eventually he gets up to where I am. And sure enough, he slows down, and he rolls his window down. And he looks at me, and he says, hey, man. He goes, looks like you're having some bad luck. I said, yeah. I said, thanks for stopping. I really appreciate it. I said, I am having some bad luck. I said, I said I'm kind of embarrassed. I said, my bike it run, is running fine. I said, but I ran out of gas. And he was like, oh, he's like, I'll tell you what, man, that actually happens all the time out here. He goes, especially along this stretch, he's, there's so much distance between the gas stations. It's no big deal at all. He's like, I got some good news for you. Though. I was like, what's that? He's like, I can help you. I was like, oh, man. I was like, thank you so much. And so I put the kickstand up on my bike, and I put my bike down, and I started to walk up to his truck to get in the cab of his truck. And he goes, he looks at me, and he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, I'm uh, getting in your truck. And he goes, why? And I was like, what's happening right now? I don't know. I don't know how to answer. I said, well, I thought, I thought you said you wanted to help me. He said, I do. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. And he said, um, I said, I, I, well, I thought you were going to give me a ride to the gas station. And he chuckles. And then he looks at me and he goes, who do you think I am? And I was like, I think maybe you're going to kill me. I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't, um, I don't, apparently I don't know. He's like, no, seriously. He's like, who do you, what do you, who do you think I am? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. And he goes, look at my truck. And I, and I glanced at this. I don't know how I missed it. It's a gas truck. <laughs> Guys got like, you know, and I was like, oh. He's like, buddy, he goes, you don't need a ride to the gas station. He goes, the gas station has come to you. And I was like, oh. And I was like, oh, okay, that changes everything, right? So this guy, this guy is awesome. He gets out of his truck and he takes that nozzle, you know, the nozzle where you empty the tank, and he comes up to my bike and he puts it over the gas tank. And my gas tank hole is this big, and the nozzle for his thing is like this big. So he proceeds to fill up my gas tank, but in so doing, covers my bike in gas, right? And he's like, there you go. And I was like, uh, thanks, I think. You know, I rest of the bike, my pants smelled like gas, and that's kind of how it went. But, but listen, the reason I tell you that is, is because the moment I found out who he really was, man, that changed stuff, right? There was implications to that. That meant that I didn't have to push my bike down the road anymore. That meant that I wasn't stuck anymore. That meant that I don't need to go to the gas station. The gas station has come to me. There was implications when I figured out who he was. Now, the reason I say that is because I think, I think for many of us, if I asked you, who do you say that Jesus is? You might say the same thing that Peter says. You might say, man, I think he's the Messiah. 
I think he's the son of God. I think that he is God himself. The one that the whole universe is held together because of him. The one who sustains all things. I believe that. If I said, do you believe that? You'd say, I do believe that. That is my claim. And yet, this morning you walk in and you are full of fear. And you are full of worry. And you are full of anxiety about your future and about your kids and about your financial situation and about your singleness. And so you come to church and you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, can you help me overcome my worry? Jesus, can you help me overcome my anxiety? And I think Jesus would look at you and I think he would say, that is a great question. But there's actually a deeper question that you need to ask first. And that's this. Who do you think I am? Who do you, who do you believe me to be? What does your worry and your fear and your anxiety speak about who I truly am? What does that reveal about how, what does your life say? And how would you answer this question? I'd say, I think for some of us, we would come into a place like this and I'd say, who is Jesus? And you'd say, I believe he is the Messiah. I believe he is the one who has come to take away the sins of the world that we could not work ourselves out of this situation. And Jesus came and showed us grace and he has forgiven us for things that we, that we, ha- we have no power to, to forgive ourselves of. And God forgave us. And he showed us immense grace. And, it's been a, and yet at the same time, when we would answer that question, we find ourselves this morning full of bitterness, full of hurt, full of unforgiveness because of the pains that other people have caused us. And we say, man, Jesus, can you help me overcome this bitterness? Man, Jesus, can you help me overcome this pain? And I think Jesus would say, that is a great question. It's a great question, but there's a deeper question behind it. And the question is this, who do you think I am? Who do you actually believe me to be? And what does your unforgiveness and what does your bitterness and what does your resentment reveal about what you truly believe about me? I think for some of us, we'd say, man, I think Jesus is the Lord of all creation. That he is the one who, who has the right to define and direct my life. And I think you would agree with that, many of us. And yet, our only interaction with God for some of us extends no further than past one hour on the weekend when we're here together. And listen, I, I just, I'm not, please hear me. I am not trying to throw a guilt trip on anyone. That's not what this is about. I'm just asking you to honestly answer the question. Because here's the thing. I think for some of us, when, 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 when you hear me talking right now, your response to this, might, you might be thinking to yourself, oh man, you know what, you're right. I feel so convicted, you're right. I shouldn't worry, I shouldn't be afraid. I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be unforgiving. I shouldn't be bitter. I should, you're right, I shouldn't. I'm gonna try harder this week. I really am. I'm gonna get it this week, man. I'm gonna try real, real, real hard. And I would just say, if that's your response, I think you might be missing the point, okay? Because here, here's the point. The, quest, the central question of Christianity is not how should you behave. That is not the central question of Christianity. Christianity is not about behavior modification, The central question of Christianity is, who do you say Jesus is? Because if Jesus is who he claims to be, there are all types of implications of how that changes us, how it works itself out in our actions. Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about life transformation. It's not just about changing your actions to match what should be right. It's about believing the truth about Jesus and allowing that to work itself through. So I think the question that every follower of Jesus should be asking all the time is this question. Who do I think Jesus is? Next time you're scared, next time you're worried, next time you're bitter, next time you're full of resentment, next time you're angry, next time you're in pain, ask the question, who do I think he is? Who do I think he is? And how does that 
inform and translate into this, these circumstances in my life? See, because I believe that if we're willing to answer that question honestly, that question has the power to reveal things in our heart. It has the power to help us to be honest and get to some of the root things, to reveal unbelief and to give us an opportunity to move from unbelief to belief. So I leave you with this question. I want you to contemplate it all week till we come back next week. Who do you think he is? Who do you say that he is? Ask the band to come up, and as they do, I want to close with one final thought. And this last thought, by the way, is really specifically for those who are investigating Jesus. So I know, like I said, that, uh, that there are some of you in this room right now who would say, I don't claim that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't claim that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't believe that. I'm still trying to figure out what I think about Jesus. I don't know how I'd answer that question. I'm still investigating Jesus. And if that's you, I, you know, we say this all the time, and I'll just say it again because I think it's important to say, if you're a person investigating Jesus, we count it an honor that you would allow us to be part of that investigation genuinely because you could do anything you want with your Sunday morning. But the fact that you're here, I think is awesome that you would let us be part of that. So we count that a privilege. But I wanna show you something in the last verse in this passage that I think is a little strange but I also think it's really helpful, especially if you're investigating Jesus. Let me just show it to you. So Peter answers Jesus. He says, I think you're the Messiah. I think you're the son of God. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Now look at this. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but it was revealed to you by my father in heaven. Now, again, that sounds weird, but let me see if I can try to explain that a little bit. I think what Jesus is saying here is something really important, especially if you're investigating Jesus. He is saying, Peter, the way that you, come to, that you came to that conclusion is not through flesh and blood. In other words, it's not through human understanding. It's not by comparing the opinions of others. You didn't come to that conclusion by just reading all of the blog posts and reading the media and the news and looking at all the different opinions about who I am. You came to that opinion not by, by flesh and blood. You came to that conclusion not by flesh and blood, but it was my Father in heaven who revealed that to you. See, and here's why I think that's important, because I think what it reveals to us is if you're trying to figure out who Jesus really is, you're not gonna come to the, I don't think you're gonna come to the proper conclusion. Jesus tells us you're not gonna come to the proper conclusion just by comparing opinions of people. Instead, he says, Your fa- my father in heaven has revealed it to you, Peter. Now, how did God, how did the father in heaven reveal that to Peter? Well, I'll tell you how. Here's how. Peter had exposure to the life of Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. He listened to the teachings of Jesus. He, he examined the miracles of Jesus. He weighed out the claims of Jesus. And as a result of that, he came to a conclusion that God had Revealed to him. Peter did not come to this conclusion by simply weighing out all of the different opinions of the people of his day. He came to it by experiencing Jesus himself. See, here's what I believe. If you're a person investigating Jesus, I would encourage you, rather than simply listening to what culture says about Jesus, rather than simply listening to what politicians say about Jesus, or even what religion says about Jesus, I would encourage you to go look at what Jesus says about Jesus. Examine his life examine his miracles, examine his teachings. So, see, see, we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they are the biographies of Jesus. They're the preserved works and teachings of Christ. And so I would encourage you, dig in, and I dare you, I dare you, I double dog dare you, I, I, I'll triple dog, I, I did it. I triple dog dare you to read through the gospels and to simply pray this prayer. Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me?
And as you read, ask the question, who is it that I'm dealing with here? Who do I say that he is? And so I would encourage you to do that, to go through that together because I am amazed. I am amazed at how many people I have met that have a very strong opinion about Jesus and they've never read his teachings. Never read his teachings. They just adopt the opinions of others. And so I would encourage you to go to him. Go to him and ask him what he says about himself. And I'd encourage you to come back for the duration of this series. Like I said, we're going to be looking at some of the most penetrating questions that Jesus asked. And I believe that there's a lot in store for us as we go through this together. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I just want to say thank you so much, not just that you gave us answers, but that you gave us questions. I think think the reality is sometimes we don't even know the right questions to ask. God, I know I don't. I know there's times I don't know if I'm asking the right stuff. And so I'm thankful that, um, that you helped us with that, that you were loving enough, that you were kind enough, that you were patient enough to, uh, to help us, Lord, in this way. And so as we kind of journey through this series together, Father, I pray that you would help us to have open hearts, to, to see you and to understand you, um, not just based on the thoughts and opinions of others, but based on who you really are. And uh, Jesus, I pray that even now, in the, the quietness of this moment, as we worship and we sing, would you help us just to really search our hearts and to answer the question, who do, who do we say you are? Really, what does my life speak my life match my claim? And if it doesn't, then what, what's, 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 what's missing? And Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would use our honesty as an opportunity to be able to work in powerful ways that transformation would happen as a result of it. So Lord, even as we sing these songs, I pray that we would process through them and ask, do we, do we truly believe what it is that we sing? And so Father, we, we ask these things and we trust you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.